Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We got a full house here, literally. Uh, so I'm just going to go around the table. We got the ginger bow hunter over here. How y'all doing? How you doing over there? Sound a little bit different using different mic this time, but you know. Yeah, everyone's using different mics. It might sound terrible, so I apologize. Uh, Pike, how are you doing? Got I'm, the deal over there. I'm good. Good. How are yes, y'all? We got a, a first time in studio guest, Mr. Shane Parker. Shane, how are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all guys? I'm doing fantastic. And then here. on the phone, we got Mr. Paul Putera. Paul, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Been a, uh, so the the origin of this whole conversation that we're about to have came from the two of you guys who have done a lot of trail camera stuff, uh, having to do with buck hubs, scrapes, uh, you name it, just big trail camera studies. And Shane, you specifically did a gigantic one uh, with a lot of cameras. So to kind of just get right into it, can you explain kind of what you've been doing with trail cameras over the last couple of years? Uh, well, it started, I guess, two years ago. Um, uh, I, I guess I was just trying to get my 
my bearings, I, I, I kind of, the area that I hunted in, I hadn't hunted in, in several years. And, uh, I, I actually got lucky enough to kill a, a pretty good buck for that area. But along the way of, of finding that deer, um, I started noticing, um, areas that I had hunted in before that now with that, at the, the advancement in technology with trail cameras that I could kind of do a little bit of research with it, just using the trail cameras and kind of just developed from that point. Um, and then it just kind of blew up like last year with, with, you know, almost 170 cameras running it at one particular time. And, uh, so my, my main thing last year was just to focus on, uh, travel between uh, bedding areas, which kind of developed into travel between buck hubs, which is something we've kind of coined right here, I guess with, with Paul. 170 cameras over the course of like, I guess all last fall, right? Yeah. It's uh, the, the 170 started in September. Okay. Uh, I, I acquired a, you know, by then I had 170, uh, during the summer I was running about 65 myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just kind of through luck or happenstance, uh, stumbled upon a, an ability to, to add a lot more to it. And then along with that added weather stations and things like that. And it just kind of, kind of grew, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I was going to ask if you ran them in the summer. Um, so you started, you started in September for the most part. I never part? stopped, uh, from the, from last year, from last, um, I guess, um, June of 2020, I have gradually, um, added more and more. I started out with like 15 and just got more and more and more. And so I have not stopped running trail crammers since then. I run them full time. I've got 69 right now, uh, that are running 69 or 70 right now. Yeah. And all, <laughs> most all of them are on, uh, just all of these are on public, mm-hmm. public property. So, yeah. So yeah. Well, what would you say are some of like your, <laughs> your main targets when it comes to this kind of thing? I mean, when you said, when you started adding all these cameras, what were the things that you were trying to figure out? Cause you're talking about weather stations and everything. Mm-hmm. I just want to paint like a really good picture of, of why you're doing it, what you're trying to find out. Well, I was trying to figure out, figure out um, exactly, I guess, the pattern that the bucks, I had always, you know, growing up hunting in this area, uh, the bucks don't use a, I was always told by hunting mentors that, you know, we think of a buck's, um, uh, I guess, home range is like an oval or an egg or something like that. And I was never taught that. I was taught that it was more like a, a, a group of spider web. You know, like mm-hmm. they travel the low, the low lying areas, the, the creek bottoms, and then they flip over these big ridges because where I hunt at is, is pretty mountainous. It's not rolling. It's a lot of steep terrain. It's a lot of choked out bottoms that are filled with uh, rhododendron. Um, you get mountain laurel uh, along the creek bottoms. So there's none of the creek bottoms are like real pretty. You know, there's some that are, but those areas are devoid of, of, of deer. They're like deer deserts. But my, I guess my main reasoning for doing this was to figure out exactly how these bucks in particular are moving through the terrain from location to location without being seen, you know, without us being able to, you know, we, we were always hunting saddles and things like that when I grew up and I'm just, you know, when I first got back into hunting up there, I wasn't seeing deer that away. It was just really, really hard the first couple of years of getting back into hunting like that because I had lost, uh, I guess, track of, of how these deer moved in that country, having mm-hmm. hunted a different part of the country at that time. Yeah. 
So it's mainly just a, a learning, a learning expedition for myself. Yeah. Uh, how over roughly how big of like a geographic area do you have all these cameras? Like, are they all stacked in the same area? No, or? They're, they're covering approximately 860 acres. Okay. Yeah. That's still, I mean, that's a yeah. lot of freaking cameras. Yeah. <laughs> that is a whole lot yeah. of cameras. Cause if you remember when we yeah. talked to Josh driver, he was talking Ooh. about <laughs> one, one, camera. one camera per 100 acres. Right. Yeah. Wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't that what it was? Mm-hmm. And this is, you were running 170 over 800 acres. Yeah. You must have a lot of pictures of the same deer. Like, yeah, I do. I do. I, I know these deer, like. Oh, yeah. I've named them. Like you r- yeah. raised them. Yeah, like I've raised them. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's yeah, old much. Steve right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's amazing to see the different, I guess, you learn their behaviors. And not only that, you learn their characteristics of, you know, what makes them, I guess, individuals, you know. Because I have one that, that I have followed since uh first put the first camera out and he sleeps in every bed. He literally sleeps in every bed that he, he comes in contact with. And he will lay in that bed for hours. And the only thing that gets him up out of that bed or out of that, that scrape is another deer, is another buck. Huh. And he'll get out of it, and then buck will come in and work the scrape, and he'll be right back laying in it. He'll lay in it all night. That's so, really interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's something I never, you know, never knew. I, I knew they did, but I didn't know they did it to that extent, and he's the only one that does it. I mean, the other ones will lay in the in the bed, but he literally – you know, he makes his bed there in the in the in the scrape, mostly at night. I've never seen him do it during the daytime. I always wonder why they do that. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm questioning it now too because the only thing I can think is they're trying to get the scent of the other bucks onto them. You know, and this is mm-hmm. a mature buck. You know, this is not like a a little, you know, two year old buttonhead or but anything. You know, how how steep is the terrain? Is it really steep? like all around where these scrapes are uh most all of them have really steep terrain close by yeah could, yeah. could it just be that it's just it's a nice flat spot with bare dirt well most of the places that i'm that i'm yeah. getting me in are, are they're kind of flat they're kind of flat areas yeah because that's that's what i kind of always theorize with it too because yeah. you know they're, they're coming down you get this flat spot Mm-hmm. and it's bare dirt and it's like one of the only places that's really nice to lay yeah. and then because sometimes you find these spots where these deer are hanging out and you're like you're like man if you made a spot that was flat you probably start getting them to bed on it yeah in some of these areas oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. New I, I see them bedding too like a, a lot of a lot of the the areas where these 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 scrape hubs where they're where i've located them at there's there's steep terrain above it and they're bedding mm-hmm. on these like little I don't know, like a tree would blow down and there'll be a flat, you know. And yep. they're 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 that's where they're bedding at too. That's, that's yeah, they really, just like wedged yeah, themselves in. They wedged something. themselves into that mountain, you know. Yep. And there's like a tree in front of them and they're just hanging out there watching their 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 scrape, you know. Cause I have enough cameras around them that I can tell that's what they're doing. You know, because mm-hmm. it's not just a camera on the on the scrape itself. I have six to eight that are basically like a pinwheel around these, these scrapes. So I'm seeing all the traffic that's coming in and, and exiting. So mm-hmm. is, is that kind of how all your cameras are set up where you're trying to put one on a scrape and then a bunch in the perimeter? Uh, that was kind of just by, I guess by trial and error. Yeah. Because I, I knew there was a big buck in one area, but I never could. And I put it on every, you know, put it on all the access points that I could find. And he, he just never would show up, but I knew he was there. So the only way I found it was to put us put the camera out, and then 
uh, immediately next to the camera, like viewing the camera, I put two cameras on each side and I immediately picked him, you know, and he would come to the camera <laughs> and I knew I got, I'd gotten a picture of him that I couldn't tell he, you know, this was, it was in velvet, but he had tripped the camera. The camera had flashed and you could just see his hooves. He was far enough back that, you know, that he tripped the camera, but you couldn't tell what he was. But the the minute I put the two cameras to the side, he would come to that camera, he'd trip it, and he'd walk around. It. And so, <laughs> and Paul, that's kind of like what you mentioned last year when we had you on talking about one of the bucks that you trailed. I think it was past like yeah. six or seven cameras on public land. He, <laughs> yeah. he walked yeah. behind every single camera you tracked him on, right? Everyone. I was like, "What the heck is he doing?" Like it was, it was just funny to watch him do it. Well, let me, let me tell you what this Joker did. He figured that out. So he would trip the. T- I would have two two cameras tripped, and then the third one get, get would get tripped. So all of them within the same period of time, he would trip them, and then he would go. I, I think he was going right in between them. So what I did then, I said, "Well, I got to widen it out. I got to see what this you know what this deer looks like. You know, he ended up being a big eight. But then I had to add you know two more cameras, and by that point, I had it covered so much that he couldn't get you know if he wanted to go through that area. And he had determined eventually, I guess, this is safe. I'm not getting, you know, so what, there's a flash, you know. He eventually just started using it. He got used to it. <laughs> and so there was no way for him to get by him, you know, unless he wanted to completely change his his route and use a whole entire, basically, ridge line. Mm-hmm. I, I had to start running my cameras like 15 to 20 feet in the air for yeah. some of these deer. Yeah, I started doing that too. I put them up with sticks way up Mm -hmm. and shoot them down. And I'm shooting like way down at the ground at these things because anytime those cameras were like eight eight feet or lower, they'd look at them and they'd never come back. Yeah. Those were the worst to me. Like those would. And and, and another thing that, that another deer would do is another buck that I had is he would bring a, a spike with him, like a, like a younger deer. And he would let that deer pass through the camera and then he would sneak in behind it. The only reason I, the only way I got him was the same thing. Like I had a camera looking off to the side video mode. The spot comes through trips, camera looks at it. He walks right in behind him. So while that camera is going off before it can reset, he's walked past the camera. So it, it's just <laughs> using amazing. Him for you know. bait. Yeah. Yeah. Basically he's just using him as a decoy. Man, they do that. Yeah. I see that all the time. They'll, mm-hmm. you, you see a, you see a big buck coming through the woods, following another deer and he's yeah. not even paying attention to anything else. And he's just coming through, just looking at that other buck. Yep. And he's just like, all right, what are you going to do? Okay. He didn't get shot. I guess I can go forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I hate that, especially yeah. in early season when you have like a bachelor group and the, the biggest one, the one you want to shoot is always the last one. So like yeah. all of those eyes and ears and noses yes. have to make it past you before you mm-hmm. get a chance at that exactly. big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's difficult. That's the most frustrating part. I noticed he was using it too. He, he didn't, he never really used the, this is, this is kind of what set the the buck hubs from the regular primary scrapes is is this past year I, I realized that he was using that he the only time he used that that spike was when he was coming to a primary scrape that he used by does he would let the spike come in and he would freshen up the scrape or he would just visit it you know and then ten minutes later fifteen minutes later this this eight point would come in and he would work the scrape but he never would work it if that spike had already been there, he would come to it. 
if he was Geelong, like the cameras on the outside would catch him coming to it. He'd scent check it from 40 yards away. You never would come to it. But now at the at the buck scrape where I never caught does, he'd come right to it alone. He'd had no no problems at all. He was perfectly content and happy and safe to, you know, to visit it without any any issues. I had I had a picture like that last year with a big buck standing in the laurel with just his head sticking out, looking up at the scrape with another deer working the scrape. And yeah. you just kinda like yeah. watching him. That's really interesting to to see that. Like, I, it almost makes me think like, if there is another buck right there with him, he's gonna let him work it. That way, he can go in and and basically put his sin in there afterwards, showing his like dominance or something like that. Maybe yeah. like I don't. That's what comes to my mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's maybe just the the you know there's a chemical that you know testosterone or whatever is higher with one than the other that makes him more appealing to does. I don't know if that's you know, if that's in their, their biological DNA to, to know that. And that's why they're doing that. I don't, I don't really know, but it's definitely a, an interesting thing. I've actually had them on, I've got some of my cameras that are really close. Like I've got two hubs that are really close. They're within 200 yards of each other. And I've got them on video and one, two bucks working the same scrape while another buck is working the other scrape that's 200 yards away. And then they just rotate. They, huh. they basically just flipped spots those two bucks come in and work the other scrape that the other buck was at and he went back to where they were now i've got to bring this up uh just while we're kind of early in this podcast shane from this camera study that you've been doing for the last two years what are like some of the highlights of what you're wanting to focus the cameras being on i mean we, we talked about scrape so far is that like the name of the game and you've also talked about a term so far called buck hub or a hub um you know what were some of those key points of what you were trying to focus on and then how did you kind of expand that uh well i guess the key point was to find it was to just figure out if i could actually hunt that if it was if if these spots that i was seeing them traveling to once i found uh if that was a viable location to actually hunt uh and so by by kind of focusing on the scrape um and seeing yeah this you know this is like man this is a key maybe this is what i've been missing you know um, then it kind of went to how are they getting here, you know, and how can I hunt there? Maybe this spot here that, that they're coming to hub wise is a, is a really good location for them. And it's safety for them, safe location for them to do this at, but how am I going to kill them? I'm going to kill them here. I'll get, get the opportunity at this, this spot, or am I going to have to, you know, get hundred yards away, get downwind or get in a better terrain location? Because a lot of these places are really they're 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 like a safe haven for them this is where they feel safe but i mean it's a lot of them are you know kind of difficult to get in you got to really you got to really work on your access if you want to hunt them you know like that's the key to doing it is your access has to be on point or you're you know you're out of the game paul i've got to ask you can you describe uh, to listeners like what is a hub just so because i know we're on the same page, but just for the listeners to understand what we're talking about, Paul, can you explain what we're talking about here? Well, I, I always see them as like a, a natural terrain filter where you find multiple points that where you're going to get these intersections. So you like like a good hub is going to have like probably five or six different game trails at least coming into it, into that kind of point. And then they all, they're all landing. And it's a lot of times just landing in like a thermal area where everything kind of settles 
or something like that. So, but that's, that's usually what they are. You know, sometimes you'll find like night hubs. You can find those too, where you're just more down towards like a food source or something. But it's usually it's between, it's either going to be like a bedding or a food source where you're going to find a hub, but only one of them you're going to actually shoot deer off of most of the time. So Shane, can you talk about from your perspective, what you're running these cameras on, what do these hubs look like in, in your area? Like how would you describe them too? Uh, they almost look like, they almost like spokes on a wheel. Like when you're looking at it from a 30,000 foot view from above, uh, you're going to look at like drainages that are on a main, like a, 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 a mother ridge that is got three to four to five, six, however many ridges that are coming off of it. And they will kind of, peel off into like little flats and usually you find these where the most amount of thermal uh drop uh either from above the location or below it um normally that's where that's where you're finding them at they're they're that you know and and they're not all in the same they're not all like that but that seems to be the common thread is they have a lot of area either below them or above them for either thermal drop into that location or thermal drop out of that location. So either they're going, the thermals are dropping down into the bottom or the thermals are dropping from above into that location. So, and also a lot of them I'm seeing are in areas where during that time of year, you're getting a lot of North to Northeast wind that is coming over the ridges and it's kind of mixing. I've noticed sitting in those places a lot, trying to hunt them during the, during the, the, this past fall is it's a lot of area where you have a lot of swirling wind. So then you've got a, you've got a dominant wind that the buck can take advantage of, but at that location, you're getting a lot of wind swirl. You're getting a lot of switching of the winds right there. Real quick. When you say a lot of area that the thermal can like the thermal, like thermal drop coming from above it, for instance, are you talking uh, you're looking for like a lot of bedding points up there or just like just area in general. I mean, does it have to be like a mountainside or does it have to be a mountainside with points and all kinds of features up there on it? Uh, pretty much anything with the elevation above the location, uh, that they'll, in my area, they'll bed anywhere. I mean, they'll bed on the steepest slope or they'll bed on a point. So anywhere that you have those around it, um, that's going to be the, the, the key to it is, is kind of finding that, you know, once you found the hub or you think it's a hub, you got to locate those bedding areas first, the bedding points. Um, because if, if you're trying to access that and you don't know where they're bedding at, they could be bet, you know, they can be bedding one day kind of below it in a, in a drainage, like they'll bed in one of those little drainages, like watching it, but they will be in a place that they can still see that hub um that that seems to be their main thing is they want to visualize that hub you know and they want to have that hub dispersing the the scent from it either below them or it's 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 falling into it you know i I think i guess depending on what time of day and what you know what period of time the thermals are either dropping or rising you know i think that's got a lot to do when they're accessing at least by by the by the timing that i'm seeing them come into these areas is they're definitely using the thermals Mm -hmm. to their advantage you know those those big bucks they like to be able to see you know when they're when they're setting up when they bed and they really want a visual advantage in a lot of these situations so they're like you're standing if you stand in that scrape 
and you look around and you can look out like, oh, look, 150 yards up there. There's a little bench sitting out over there or something. And you, you sure enough, you walk up there, there'll be a pile of deer hair on it. You're like, oh, that looks like a little flat spot one could watch and see through this little gap here. Yeah. You go over there. It's it's almost like they're setting up to, to shoot the scrape. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if you think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one in particular that, that I found three beds uh, that are almost like, it's almost like 12, you know, three and, 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 and nine, you know, from that. And that, that, that scrape is in the center of that. And so he's, he was positioned in such a way that the, that he had a visual advantage to the scrape from any one of those, but he had a wind advantage in the, in the place that he, he wasn't at. Um, so when he was in the three locations, the wind was always pushing either the scent to him if he couldn't see it. When you are finding these hub locations in the in the beds above them where they can get a visual on it, is that usually in an area where the does would come through, or is this over like just the the buck only scrape? Yeah. yeah either way, it's it's a, a mature buck just can he wants to be able to see what's going on at all times. So like he's got to be able to set up where he can monitor the situation because. You think about if he's got to escape, what is he going to do? You know, is he see he sees something coming? He's not going to get up and bolt. He's going to stand up. He's going to sit there. He's going to look, assess the situation, think, and then he's going to go the way that he can go safe. A younger a younger deer is going to get up and bolt, but those those yeah. big bucks are going to let you go right by. You know, and that yeah. that's that's why they're big because they think like that. You know. Yeah. And we kind of discussed that earlier is, uh, you know, when we were messaging back and forth is I had one that I set up on and tried to hunt and I watched the buck come to this, you know, bed down above the hub. I was, I was on one of the points, you know, adjacent to it. I watched him bed down and I watched him all morning and, uh, you know, he wasn't going, he got, he would get up, he'd move around a little bit. He'd, he'd come right back. And he was, he was basically using a road as his back wall, as his, his safe zone. And the only way that, that he was ever going to leave that location was, was if somebody got him out of it, you know? So I actually used my son to move him, but he came right back to the bed. Like he was, he was perfectly content making now, a loop and coming right back. Now, when you say road, is this like a road that's used very often or yeah, is this I mean, like a car passing by it constantly? Yeah. He's literally like, I mean, you walk all you, if you're standing in the middle of the road, you walk to the edge of the edge of the uh, the the uh, basically the right of way, and he's on a he's bedded against a tree that's on the edge of the right of way, like looking down into the into a little flat. So, what was I'm just curious about what his reaction was like whenever traffic would come by or something like that. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't budge. He didn't, he didn't, didn't look it. around no, or no, anything. He fell asleep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I sat there with the binoculars and watched him sleep. I physically have gone in and set up and had bucks bedding in front of me that didn't run and just never got up and came in because they saw me yeah. and I got busted. But all of a sudden you'll see, you'll all of a sudden catch a little flicker on me. Like, oh, yeah. that's, that suckers right there. Well, I was on a, he, just, he knows you're there and he's just, he's not coming in. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I had my son walk up to the tree. Like I, t- I mean, it's, it, you know, I said, get, get on the four wheeler and, you know, come down this road and, you know, and park here and walk down the road and, you know, walk to that tree. And that as soon as the four wheeler got within, you know, 
hearing distance of him, he got up, he walked right off the edge of the, the, the other ridge across from me, basically did a little loop, come right back. As soon as my son was gone, he was right back in the bed. It wasn't 15 minutes later. <laughs> really? That's yeah. cool. He, he sat there in the bottom of that drainage and watched my son basically get back and leave. Did your son ever actually see him? No, he never saw him. Yeah. Never heard him. Nothing. He got up so quiet. I mean, I'm watching him in the binoculars. I watched him stand up, kind of took two steps, and he was gone off the other side. He never bolted. He never did anything. You know. And that was just since the four wheeler got an ear shot. Yeah, just this four wheeler got an ear shot, and that, that was all he needed. You know. So do you did you see a different reaction between like cars, like vehicles versus four wheelers, or anything like that that you can think of? I, I think the four wheeler probably sounded different to him. You know. I think had it, had it been a car and somebody stopped, he he probably would have done the same thing. If a car would have stopped, mm. you know, the car would have stopped right there behind him. He'd probably done the same thing. But I think the four wheeler probably, you know, they don't sound right, you know. So, yeah. But he never. I, bolted, I watched you know. them physically just go like this and just put their chin down to the ground and just just they put they make themselves as small as they possibly can. They just lay flat and they just wait and they'll they'll do that for twenty thirty minutes. They'll be motionless. And then as soon as you move and leave, they stand right back up. But I, I see it all the time during gun season. You'll, you'll see them. you see a buck just sees like, oh, here comes a bunch of guys doing a deer drive. And he'll just lay down and let the guys walk 30 yards from him. As soon as, soon as the people are gone, they'll just stand up and they'll start feeding again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just right back to it. Like, oh, okay, they're gone now. Yeah, dude. They, yeah. They, Animals they, using their program. camera. I have noticed that. Not with bucks because I just... I just don't see see as many bucks <laughs> down here, but like with does or something like that, if if they get bumped off uh, their bed, they'll they'll usually feed before they lay lay back down. It's yeah. hard to get rid of a big buck. You got to yeah. really try to get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, and they, like, you know, these hubs are perfect examples of that because I've, I mean, I had six trail cameras and and a or some of them eight, you know, and a and the weather station in it, you know, and I was coming to visit these things every two weeks. Yeah. That's no, that's what I was trying to say. I was trying to, that's where I wanted to get to is conversation. Yeah, Jacob in a sign language. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This like, means go deep. Yeah. yeah. Shane, that means just keep go, talking. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so that's what I wanted to ask about with, with you running this many cameras, how often were you in these areas? And did you see any negative impact from you being in there that much, seeing so much on your control cameras? No, i never did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, now the primary scrapes that I would visit, I had the same thing on primary scrapes. Yeah. I mean, once I got in there, yeah, that three or four days, it wouldn't be anything. But the the hubs, I mean, they nothing. They would keep just piling in. It didn't matter, you know. Yeah, it's it's such a a, a draw for them, you know. The, there's there's always something else there. There's always good food there in the vicinity and all this other stuff. It's usually like the best area around, and then you'll go out from it, and you'll be a lot of monotonous timber and stuff like that. Yeah, you know. So it's like. They they just have to be there for survival, and they just learn to deal with it. Yeah, the one thing that I noticed in common with uh, aside from the, the the elevation that was directly above them, where they could where they could watch this area, was it all had really thick cover within very close proximity. They were never in the thick cover; it's in the pretty timber, like it looked beautiful, you know. But not far away was just just thick, nasty, you know. And I always felt like when I was going in there, you know, that's where they were. They, the, I had probably pushed them out, but they were just so comfortable with it, with that area and, and felt, you know, safe there that it didn't bother them. You know, they just go back into the thick timber. One more time. I'll, I want to go through, uh, you said like 
with the primary scrapes, you'd bump them off, but the hubs you wouldn't. So, like, is it true to say like the the hub is just more of a terrain feature? The scrape is a scrape, right? Yeah. yeah. Could there be a primary scrape in a hub? Like, what can I want to better like explain the difference between the two? I mean, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, a couple of the scrapes that I had were you know seventy five yards from a hub. They were just in a different like a different terrain type. A lot of them were closer to the thick areas, mm-hmm. like wherever they were, wherever they were, you know, wherever there was a hub at and there was a thick area there, you know, around the thick area was a lot of sign, but around yeah. the hub, that's hub was it. Like there's scrapes around it or, or, you know, rub scrapes, things like that. And all I signed, but right there at that, that was the main focus. Like there was no rubs. There was nothing, you know, or I didn't, I didn't see much of that. Okay. And it, it, it just could be the fact there's not a good tree there, you know, there's yeah. not a good tree for them to scrape yeah. on or a good tree to make a, like, I, I see a lot of signpost rubs in them too. Yeah. You see them leading on the trails, you know, trails mm-hmm. coming in, but I never saw, I never, in these areas, there's trails that does and younger bucks are using constantly, you know, and they're within, you know, within, you know, close proximity of the, of the hub, but the does never came to the hub. I never, I never saw them. Like that's what I guess kind of set it apart because man, there's a lot of bucks coming to this great, but I never see a doe. So why are they doing it? And they're coming there in the summer. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. And yeah. I think the does are probably, they're not coming through there, but they're bedding just yeah. like close by. And I think the thermals from the does are going to be dropping down and hitting that hub a lot of times. Yeah. So, like, so like they're, they're checking it and they're getting all fired up and making a scrape. But they're not even like doing it to display for the does. They're just it, this is the spot. Like I can smell everything from here. They get it. They get excited, and you know, and it, it's just their natural travel corridor that's working the thermals to smell everything above them. I, I see that a lot. So you mentioned like uh like so the hub being where all these different terrain features meet. It's got stuff above it or below it where they can get a lot of scent coming through via the thermals. Uh, but like you mentioned, there might not be sign right there on that hub. So when you're going in to either hunt or put a trail camera on that spot, you're just a hundred percent trusting the terrain, whether or not there's sign there. Well, what I was mainly doing was finding the the faint trails, the mm-hmm. the subtle trails that kind of, you know, that's kind of how I discovered the, the, the hubs for me. I don't know how Paul did, but, um, I just realized, oh, there, you know, there's one here that's kind of intersecting this really nice trail. Where does it go? And it goes here. Okay, I map it on my, you know, my phone. Well, it, well, I see one going that direction. You know, well, where's it going? You know, and so eventually I put them all together. Like, oh, there's all these like 
you know, subtle trails that are kind of intersecting. And then you just, just, you know, you work on them and you figure out where are they going, you know? And then it seemed to be, they, they might all come to that one place, but they come within close proximity and it's like, wow, over there. Then you just kind of, just kind of, you know, if you were walking one of those trails and you, you didn't, that was the only trail you hit, you'd miss it. Okay. You got to do a lot more scouting, yep. you know? Yeah, you you could there could be deer passing fifty yards from that location. You know, it's not like it's they're all going to intersect and walk over the same patch of dirt yeah. every time. Yeah, you know, but it just kind of filters them in, and then they go on their way on different directions going out. You know, and then depending on how big the woods is, the hub could get bigger or smaller, depending. On, like I, I found them where they're two hundred yards wide, and there's probably fifty, sixty scrapes in the area. And they just they come they come down through and you just kind of got you can't get you can't get every spot sometimes, you know you just got to play the wind right and set up and like okay if he comes down this way hopefully I can get him on this side if he comes through but every once in a while you get it you can't do it you know you can't get the whole thing. One thing you Shane you did in our group message was sent an aerial image uh, of an area I, I don't know if you were using Onyx or Caltopper or what you were using but you kind of drew the lines of like like in this one example. Uh, this one hub, which was kind of, you know, right below a couple of little small ridge points, um, how, you know, based off how it lays out, how you would expect the bucks to travel. And it's like, yeah, they're not walking right through that center point. They're walking the edges of that center. So like mm-hmm. the center of the hub, if you think about it as like a wheel, the center is not necessarily right where they're going to be at. They're going to be on the outside of that circle, mm-hmm. yep. like coming, coming around mm-hmm. that edge. And that's kind of where you're seeing a lot of the activity which is interesting instead of like focusing on the dead center, look at those trails on the outside of how those deer are skirting through their yeah. scent check and, and traveling through this one spot. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, and that's, that's kind of, if you're going to hunt one of these spots, that's kind of what you got a key on is like pick your side of it, I guess, based on wind, based on what the thermals will do and, and based on the terrain and you're mainly based on access, but yeah, it's definitely, it's like a, like I said, it's like a network that never really, they don't converge on that spot, but, if you get into an area like that, that you see a lot of, of, um, those faint trails and you're like, well, you know, cause where, where I hunt, they just tend to meander a lot. So if you get into an area where you find a couple of faint trails along one ridge and they don't really go anywhere, well, th- they are, uh, you just have to do a lot more scouting in that area not just look at it. You know, if you just walk through it, oh, there's two, two, you know, subtle trails and they just kind of meander off and spread out into nothing. You just keep on walking. You're going to miss it. So that's why you really have to dig deep into those areas. Yep. I get in, I, if I get in a hub like that, I spend the day yeah. when I'm scouting. Yeah. I, I mean, I spend all day in it. Sometimes I'll come back and do multiple days if I don't feel like I figured it out completely. Yeah. I think, a, and this is what I used to run into when I was younger is, when I scouted an area, it was more like I had a destination to go to instead of letting what I found be the destination, if that makes sense. So I would pass by this type of sign and completely ignore it, you know, cause I had somewhere I wanted to go, but I was passing up everything that was the clues to the, you know, basically to the, unlock the puzzle. And so when I just got into an area and I said, oh, I know there's deer here, now let me figure out what are they doing. And I spent the time and mainly you have to, you can't do it in season because you're going to, you know, if you get far away from the hub, I feel like you're going to be doing a, a disservice or a, you know, basically ruining your spot. But in the hub area, when you find it like that, I, I, 
you got to really dig into it because you're you're unless you do that you're you're not going to see the entire picture if that makes sense and yeah i'm over here pointing at andrew myself because that's what we did this past weekend when we we were all in a group message talking about this one area we were going to go check out yep and it was like there's this destination one ridge we want to get to and we found well i think is where a bachelor group is betting on the ridge adjacent from yeah. before we drop down great big beds five six hundred yeah. feet down a couple of them crossing them and it but it, it it's one of these areas and then we got to an area where there's a bunch of bucks underneath some red oaks a bunch of rubs and stuff and uh then some scrapes down below it. and anyways and found one big buck bed up above all that on the side of the mountain or side of that big yeah drink. oh my gosh is they're talking about this i'm like man we should have stuck around that buck bed and just like started circling yeah. and, and like yep. really looking mm-hmm. around that because yeah. he was looking down into a real slight little where two draws came together like a little hub type thing yeah. yep. at a big big steep ridge above him if i found beds but a, a large bed that looked like it had been it, it had been slept in more than like four or five times because they just look different but when you get into these areas you'll find beds that have they're down to the rock and there mm-hmm. there's no leaves in them mm-hmm. you know and anytime I find a, I found a bed like that, I've spent hours around that bed just making circles until I found another one, and another one. Once you find a couple, if you find a couple that are within, you know, a couple hundred yards of each other, you need to be really digging into that that area because there's a reason that he's staying there that often, you know. Mm-hmm. And when when you do this every year, go back and check those hubs. And double check everything and look at all those beds again. Because sometimes stuff happens like you get a big tree that comes down or something and lands in one of those spots and messes something up. And I, I physically have gone in there and be like, oh, this is going to screw this up big time. And I, I started dragging brush out of the out of the trails and stuff to clear it out to make sure it keeps going. Because yeah. all of a sudden, you see that altar, you're like, Cause some, sometimes you're down to yards on the tree you can use. And if that little bit changes it's like oh boy this ain't gonna be good i gotta fix it so i'll, I'll start making movements I'll, I'll take and kick a bed flat to make it more comfortable for him sometimes i don't know if he's gonna use it more or not but i, I feel like it's gonna help one of the one of the spot one of the things the keys that i really i guess made me realize that hey i can do once i get in here they're not really gonna bother you know they're not really gonna be affected by what i do here at this location i had one spot that was on an access trail that at least six other hunters were using. They were almost walking. I mean, you could have, the trail going in was almost like the Appalachian Trail. They had used it so much. And there's a scrape literally, you know, six feet from it. And I had a trail camera out on it. And I've, I've, and they never, they never deviated from that trail, from that, that scrape. Never had a doe come to it, but I had 29 different bucks come to that scrape. <laughs> wow. 29 different bucks come to that scrape. I had some that would come in five minutes after a hunter had walked through. That just shows yeah. you how close yeah. they are. How, watching how close those they scrapes. are when you walk through. Yeah. yeah and watching those scrapes. Yeah. Oh too. yeah. They're watching yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my trail camera pictures, you know, of the, of the surrounding areas, they, they kind of told that, that tale that they're, they're not just coming directly in and wait, they're, they're watching from a, you know, from a distance and then they come in, you know? Yeah. I've, I've been walking uh, on one of those old logging trails and found a good scrape and just sat there looking at it and had a buck jump up yeah. only 20 yards from me. Yeah. He's just sitting there waiting on those does. Those, yep. mm-hmm. And sit, that's actually what I was going to bring up is, uh, especially Shane, how often have you gone out there, check cameras on a scrape left, and then 
within a certain time window had bucks come and check that scrape after you've been there. Oh, two minutes later on oh. on camera. So the reason yeah. why I'm saying that is yeah. it's almost it's almost like whether they know it's a person or not, whatever. Yeah. But it's like they see something go to the scrape. Well, I'm gonna go check what that was doing at the scrape. I've yeah. been watching. Oh, yeah. and listen, buddy, <laughs> who's on my scrape? Hold, hold on, hold on, buddy. System, buddy. System mm-hmm. here. Going back to my yeah. Bucky yeah. 2022. I see you. Where, I see what you, you put putting the one, one guy comes in where he can't see set up where you can shoot that area. Yeah. You come in. You mess around with scrape and you leave like what Mike did, and the buck walks yep. in, you shoot him. Okay. Anyways, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Everybody yeah. think that 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 might would work after looking. Yeah, this stuff. I, I really yeah. do. I yeah. I used to do that all the time when I was a kid with my dad. He'd he'd come in and drop me off at a spot, and like he'd walk away. And not ten minutes later, I'd shoot a buck. It just <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, like oh, there he is, bang. Call yeah. him on the radio. Uh, gotta come back. Good. Got a deer down. <laughs> yeah, curiosity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I mean, that's that's one thing I was curious with is the idea of how curious they are. If they are truly bed, like you're saying, up and watching these hubs or watching, especially some of these scrapes, that when you come in, it's more like, it's that cur- okay, what was it doing down there? This scrape I've been watching. And just come in, like, scent check, see what's going on, and then go back to where he was bedded at. And just, again, this is it's super interesting now I'm thinking about this. That really makes me think, like, this is an actual tactic. Like, I know we talked about yeah. it before, but, like, hey. this really just solidifies it or puts it into perspective. Like, you need to buddy up and you need to take turns, like, going to these really good spots and just set up, have the other person walk off and mm-hmm. see, you know, see I what mean, happens. Yeah, I mean, one of the tactics I used to use is, is walk in to an area like this or you know any kind of hunting area and then j-hook my way back like i would loop you know and that's how i killed a lot of deer doing that same thing it's almost the same it's almost the same principle it's only you're doing it yourself you know right same I'm thing as them except you're yeah yeah I, i'm, I'm being the other hunter i'm just mm-hmm. looping myself back into my own trail you know and then i'd sneak up on the deer from behind i'd kill several deer that away you know now, one thing else, just while we're talking about trail cameras here, because again, this a lot of this is based around Shane, what you've been doing with these trail cameras, like 170 plus trail cameras the last two years on public land in Alabama, is you mentioned having weather stations on some of these sites too. Now, what's going on with that? Because listen, a lot of guys are like, man, why is a weather station? What first off, explain this weather station and like what data this is pulling and how this played a factor with what you're learning from well, these cameras. I'm, I'm I still haven't gotten into all that data yet. I've just kind of, you know touching the scratching the surface on it but i just wanted to know if wind was playing a factor these locations if dew point if you know rain um any kind of weather was affecting the, the you know the 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 visits the scrape um that that was mainly just just curiosity you know to know hey why you know what what affects this you know this this movement to this location if anything does if weather even affects it I ran a one and did wind on a buck. I think I, I posted the pictures of that deer a couple of years ago, you guys. Big monster in velvet. That was like a 160-inch typical big buck. And that, that thing was coming into that hub and hitting that scrape. And every time he came in, it was a different wind direction. He would just come off a different bed and go through that scrape. But he was still coming to that scrape every day. And I, I had him had him on a pattern like that. This is it wasn't during the hunting season. It was in uh, August, right in velvet. But he'd still come in every day and walk past that scrape. But he was just coming in from a different way. But he was still going to it. Yeah. So it was like it, he was still he that that was his destination point when he got up in the evening. You know. Yeah. It just 
depended on he just he was it was like a series of like probably seven or eight different points and bowls and stuff around the hub on a, a long drainage. With you talking about this early season stuff, like you were talking about velvet, uh, have you noticed like food sources? Uh, I notice a lot of these scrapes pop up around a food source in early season, like whether or not like a white oak is dropping or something like that. Are, are y'all noticing anything like that? Like where these scrapes are located? Like it, it appears like within close proximity, there's like a, a tree that's, you know, dropping some really good acorns or something. Well, where, where I am, it, it's, there's, there's, it's, it's such an enormous amount of, of food for them uh, that they're not, you know, they're not, they're just, they're, I feel like ha- the food has no, no bearing no on bearing. this. They're just, they're putting it there. Cause that's, that's where they feel comfortable and food has no, you know, yeah. has no it's, bearing. It's like a, it's yeah. like a staging point almost. Yeah. 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 You know, in some ways, but, but there is, I do find a lot of these hubs associate in the, when they're in a drainage, they associate with some kind of summer Forbes or something, or later in the year, they're digging fern roots in it or something around me. So I, I do see like they're using it. At, there's usually good food in the area. In yeah. Some yeah, of, they're not some putting it. They're not, they're definitely not somewhere where they don't have ample food. You know, it's not mm-hmm. in a, it's not in a food desert for them. Another question for you guys. Uh, this is Shane. I want you to kind of talk about, it, and then Paul, you can touch on it too. Uh, you mentioned earlier about faint trails in these areas. Now, me and Andrew were out in this area, and it's like, what? I know faint. I don't know. I, I feel like faint trails are different depending on where you're at and the kind of the how many deer are in the area. Because I feel like one piece of public land, me and Andrew hunt that has a ton of deer. Like a faint trail look might look totally different compared to an area that like where we were at previously. Yeah. And you're just like I think there's a trail here. It kind of looks like a trail. It's kind of like you there's know there's some deer tracks. Like, on you know, it. You're, like you're kind of questioning yourself. Is this actually a deer? So like yeah. Shane, for you, what does a faint trail look like? And that sounds so dumb. Some people are like, what are you talking about? What what does a faint trail look like to you and Paul? Once you take it after that. Well, I mean, faint trails are are kind of um, they're more visible terrain dependent. Um, like I see a lot of them along um, above drainages, like. It's like you'll get into a rocky drainage, and above it, going up, uh, you'll see, you know, maybe four or five sets of tracks that went along the same like general path, you know, and kind of what, um, what I get, I guess my way of figuring that out is I took uh, last year I took a decided to take a rake with me and a bag of, and 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 a, a area I had had water access. So I took and cleared me out. But I said, I'm going to see what's coming through here. If it's a doe or a buck. So I cleared out of, you know, five by five square along this area. And I wet it down really, really good. And I just watched. I come back, you know, next time I checked the camera, I came back and checked it. You know, big buck track there, you know. So from that point on, I just kind of tracked it back to the bottom, you know, figured out, you know, where he's coming from. But those faint trails don't have to be a trail. It, I, I've realized that does do use trails. Like, they will stick to a designated trail, but bucks sometimes they'll just meander through the, you know, they just kind of go wherever, yeah. you know, it's like the, yeah. it's like the yeah. path of least resistance. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. And it can be an entire side of a ridge. Like it, you know, I'm not talking about a huge ridge, but just a small rise that goes up to a main, you'll see like a lot of tracks along the side of that, but then somewhere else there'll be a main trail. Well, they're not using that main trail. They're using that, just that spread out area. They may walk up it, you know, near the top one day, they may walk at it near the bottom. I think it's got a lot to do with, you know, dew, dew points. Something is, you know, scent is more, 
is more prevalent at the bottom today, you know, or the wind direction is more prevalent at the top today from where they're, you know, accessing it from. So that's why you never really find them on a designated trail because does are not as concerned about being, you know, there's not as much stuff trying to kill a doe, but bucks are a, that's a whole different animal. Their, their whole thinking is survival. So they're not going to be on a trail where, you know, a bunch of does are going through and there's a bunch of predators around, you know? So that's why I think that's why they just kind of meander in a lot of ways. Well, how many times have you been walking through the woods and you spot a rub on off of the trail that you're walking on and it's only like 10 or 15 yards away, but you're like, how in the world did that buck even get into that spot to rub that particular yeah. tree? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, that's some, something me and Paul were, were, you know, messaging back and forth was these, these areas that a lot of people look at like rhododendron patches are huge around where I'm at, you know, rhododendron and, and, and Mount Laurel, you'll just get enormous, you know, choked out bottoms with them and they'll be full of does and they'll look like you got a ton of bucks going in there. They'll just be rubs all around it. Like, you know, I put cameras in there, never catch a buck. Yep. Never. Never, I'll, I'll catch button heads or I'll catch a one-year-old, you know, two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old in there with the does, but the big bucks don't, they're not, they're not about to hit that, you know, and, you know, that tells me that, that they're making sure they put the sign around that, but they're never going, going into that area because it, I think it's, I think it's a, um, I think it's like a wind, something to do with the wind. Once you get in there, there's no wind flow. And I think a buck has to have the wind flow. You know, they've got to have that wind direction in their nose somewhere. Because once you get in there, you're more susceptible to, you know, coyotes or any kind of predator, you know. Now, how would you feel running through one with a rocking chair on your head? Yeah. Yes. And that too. Well. I mean, yeah. If you look at them, it's like, it's hard for us to walk yeah. through. Imagine having a set of horns on our head too, you know. Yeah. You watch the does, they'll like, they'll like crawl on their belly to get through spots yeah. in that laurel and stuff. A big buck's not going to do that. I, I had can. one using the bottom of one of those. And I knew I had the sign coming into it and I'm like, how is this, how is he getting through this? Cause it was enormous. And on each side was, I mean, it was straight up 400, you know, 400 feet of elevation on both sides. And I had him on one side of it and I had him on the other side of it, but I didn't have him anywhere in between. Like he wasn't using the steep edges, but he was walking to the bottom of the Creek where there was no laurel. So I put, I yep. put cameras down in the Creek. You know, that's how, that's back, how I uh, set up for him for both back, shots. Yep. Back to where we hunt. You remember me telling you about that buck that walked in the walked creek? In the on creek. You? Yeah. yeah, that area uh -huh. has mountain laurel. Yeah, it yeah. sure does. I was wondering. I, this buck came down through, and he he jumped in this creek, and he just walked right down the middle of this creek. And this yeah. creek, listen, this creek is not wide. Mm. It is not soft. It's rocky. Yeah, that's why this is yeah. everything. And mm -hmm. I was like, big flat rock. I do not know yeah. why this buck you know, took this particular yeah. route when there's a trail right over there. But yeah, yeah. Well, well, the, the big one I killed in 2020, the 152, uh, I, I couldn't figure out how he was moving. That, that was mainly the reason that, that I got him is I, I couldn't figure out how he was getting from one point to another. And I, I just never could, I never could, you know, figure out, okay, there's this void in his, in his movement that I don't know anything about. And so I put the trail cameras in the Creek and I got him and I'm like, well, he moved through here this day. And then two days later I shot and killed him almost all going into the, into the rhododendron. So 
that kind of buck, I'm, I'm sitting here racking my brain because, you know, I just got into a new hunting club and I went and scouted. I did like five or six miles over here and I jumped some deer out of Mountain Laurel and right down below it, it is completely choked out. The deer cannot physically like walk yeah. through it real easy. And, but the, it's got that really steep, narrow Creek right down the middle of it. And I'm just sitting here thinking if a buck is coming back up into that bed in the morning time, he's got all of those thermals that are dropping yeah. right down into that Creek. Everything is concentrated right there. He's got perfect access back into his bed. Like if, oh, yeah. if that was the route he took. Yeah. And, and, and in that mountainous terrain like that, that's how they'll travel. That That's another part to this is, I, I, is, is along with that, I've done a, huge study with the cameras on the travel and i noticed a lot of those are using those creek bottoms that was something i focused on and using the rockiest drainages you've ever seen to get to up basically yeah. to get from the bottom up they wouldn't they wouldn't just go straight up a ridge you know that he was used he was he was all several of them were using the absolute i mean it looks like you couldn't crawl through it that's that's how this yeah. is. I was actually yeah. crawling through. Yeah. It. We would have to crawl through it, and they can make it through it. And that's what they were using to get to his bedding areas. Is those really? I mean, just brutally rocky, you huh. know, drainages. So now you hunted this. Yeah. So like, did you ever hunt those type of setups? Like where I, I never, I know because it was it was something I never thought a deer would you know right. you know you'd find sign in places there, but like. The one I killed in 2020, that's, that was one of the reasons I kept seeing these, the rubs, the, the, the directional signpost rubs in this super rocky. I mean, it, like I said, it looked like you, you couldn't, you'd have to get on your hands and knees to crawl through this. And somehow he was, he was getting through that area and yep, they go right yeah, through they it. Go right through it. <laughs> and, and that was the only, that was his only weakness is when he came out of that was an area that I could kill him at. And that was it. That was the only point you would have ever killed that deer. There was almost 25 people trying to kill this deer. Huh. And literally, I picked the exact spot that it was his only weakness that he had on his entire travel path. You know, because the people had over 5,000, you know, images of this deer. You know, and in that area, that's, you know, it's not hunted that much. So there was a lot of people hunting this, but that was his only weakness. And sometimes that's just what you have to, you know, you have to find is that one week's point, weak point. So just while we're talking, we're talking about mountain laurel and rhododendron in, in, in this topic here and kind of how it seems like some of these bucks don't like to travel through them for whatever reason uh, in certain situations, but sometimes they may. Uh, have y'all both noticed, and I know, Paul, where you're at, you have a ton of this, especially in PA, I think, where you where you hunt at and, and everything else. And, of course, Shane, you do too. Mm-hmm. There's different stages. Now, I haven't been around rhododendron. I think we found a little bit while we were out there, but it wasn't yep, anything yep. like what y'all are talking about. Yeah. Like, thickness is like little like rhododendron plant plant yeah yeah, yeah they're yeah. individual an individual bush yeah. here yeah. Or there. yeah but yeah. with the freaking whipped up by a bug yeah. so i can't yeah. talk about that but i can talk about laurel and where we were at there was two different stages of laurel we found laurel that was like i mean generations old where i mean you could walk underneath and you barely yeah. would touch your head under it's a shaded that's out the stop. And, yeah, that, yeah and then <laughs> the then you have like the dying shrubby laurel where it's like it's like there's no way for anything to go through it but it's like shrubbed out where i mean it's like not nine feet tall, yeah. but it's and a lot of dead laurel. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're taking my fire, bro. Listen, yeah. you just stay over in your corner. All right, <laughs> no, but yeah. So, so there's some dead, there's dead laurel mixed into it, but it's like gaps. So you could, like, where we found, where I think a bachelor group of bucks were were bedded on this this big secondary ridge point come off. It had a bunch of that 
more shrubby laurel down below it, not where the bed was at. Bed that had a bunch of big blowdowns and stuff where all these beds were at. Uh, but you had all this shrubby laurel that was running the side of the ridge, and you had one b- trail that was highly used coming off where those beds were, and it was going straight down, and it was diving off the edge of that laurel, like going straight mm-hmm. down to this giant hub below us that we didn't decide to walk down that direction. And then you found tracks like intermingled between all this mountain laurel as they were like navigating through it. Cause you could walk through it, but it was like, you're making curve left curve, right? Like there was no straight paths. Mm -hmm. Um, in in that situation, do y'all see the deer working different? And and Paul, maybe I'll let you take it first. I mean, between like the big laurel, like where you can walk underneath it, it's just shaded out, but you can walk underneath it versus like the shrubby laurel. Like, do you see the deer using it differently? The, the big stuff, the mature laurel that they can walk under is where I usually see most of the bucks traveling a lot of times. And the the really dense laurel patches is mostly does. And then if you get like patchy thick laurel where they can weave through, you'll get the bucks going through again. But it's if it's it's it, you kind of want like spotty spotty thick laurel or you want real old growth laurel. So one yeah. one of those yeah. two you need. Yeah the, the big the big humongous you know groups of it that they're not good you know i think they i think they look at it as man that that would be hard for me to escape to because once i'm in there i have i don't have a way out you know i'm going to you know i'm it's going to be a pain for me to get out of this it's just not a good escape route so i think they think any kind of and this is something i discovered too by the with the trail cameras all the movement in that around that area is mostly at night they're just not going to be around that during the day they're going to be on the edges of it where there is an escape. You know, there, there is going to be, they're not going to be somewhere in the middle where that's their only point to escape to is in that rhododendron, that, that laurel, you know, but yeah, there's definitely the, the big thick stuff. They're just not going to, but the older yeah. stuff wants to ages on out. A doe. Yeah. Yeah. Now if they're on a doe, yeah, all bets are all, you know, if they're on a doe. They'll bust right through it. Yeah. Like a, like a monster truck. But <laughs> now, now I want I want to bring up this topic, which I had just touched on, but I want to kind of go in more detail just from personal experience of this area that me and Andrew just scouted, which is uh, bucks using some of these creeks as their travel path in this very steep country. So where we were at on, on Saturday, whatever this past week, yep. there was a, a very deep creek channel channel there, 600 plus feet of elevation change between that and the secondary ridge points above it and Mount Laurel, both sides. And it's it's. At one point, we're just sliding down. Like, oh, well, we're on a slip and slide going down, mm-hmm. you know, through all, yeah. all the leaves. We had to swing down underneath it because originally we were going to try to just crawl down through there and, like, look at it. But we we ended up dropping, like, literally. J-hooking almost. Yeah, we, we J-hooked down underneath it, lost, you know, 400, 500 feet of elevation, and then went back up about another five to 600 feet to get back up on our same level. And I didn't see much deer sign once we got in. It's, it was bigger laurel. It's the kind of laurel where, like, you can kind of, like, you're not crawling. Like you're mm-hmm. just kind of like walking. Weaving through it. But like, again, didn't see a bunch of sign in there, but then, then again, I was trying to not slip and fall all the way down to this Rocky Creek while we we're going out <laughs> too. But, yeah. um, well, it's not confined to one spot. So it's harder to see it. Yep. Yeah, well, that's true. They're going to be fanned out through it. If it's all big and tall. Well, the way that Creek works and it kind of bends around this second, this big secondary ridge point, it, it, it made me think a little bit more, especially after we found, sign uh after we crossed the creek we went up and over this ridge and went back over the other side and where this mountain kind of wraps around and found some a huge couple sets of like some big rubs coming up off the edge of that laurel kind of like in some uh like shortleaf ponds which is very interesting kind of the habitat it was moving through but it made me think 
you know, if somebody wanted to go down that creek and, and work that creek, they could very easily walk down that rocky creek. And this is kind of what y'all's personal experiences have been because after seeing that and being down there, and it was almost, it was probably 1030 in the morning, sun was way up and you were having to rise the thrills on top of the ridge. The second you get down that lower, you could just feel all the air change. 15 degrees cooler, sucking straight down. It's like an yeah. air conditioner blowing yeah. down on oh, yeah. you from out of the high stuff. Yeah. I, I, I think, especially when temperature, like early season, that's a really good place because they're going to, they're going to seek that out when it's warmer, like October when it's hot, you know, they got, they got a certain area that, that, that's like that when it, it, it's, it's a hub for them. That area is when it's, when it's warmer, when the temperatures are warmer, cause they're going to seek that out for, you know, just basically comfort, you know, but yeah, or if it's yeah. really cold. Yeah. Or if it's really cold, the opposite, they'll get into that too, you know, cause that, they're mm-hmm. going to use that as protection from the, from both the heat and the, yeah. and plus the yeah. microclimate. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it it literally creates its own own little climate, and especially when you have a creek running because you've got the thermals are always going to be flowing with the creek. I think that's why the bucks like to use the creeks in that area is because they always they always know the temp the way that the thermals are going to be. You know, it's always going to be going yeah, a certain so way. Consistent. Yeah, yeah. I never that was an, uh, this was another thing that area. I mean, it was literally probably sixty acres of nothing but laurel with a creek running through it. There was never a buck going down the creek. Always coming Always back coming up into, up, yeah. Up going into the wind, yeah. going into the thermal. Yeah. Never want to go in the opposite. Now, again, traveling creek, that's just something you'd see more potentially early season you were talking about or uh, year round. Year round. Yeah. So, again, yeah. but they're still going to travel that because yeah. that's, that's what I'm trying to get at with this. Yeah. It's It was such a steep area. But I'm like, man, it, you know, it would make sense because you're kind of out, out of the elements, but also you're – you know, it would suck to escape out of, but while you're yeah. in there, I feel like you're fairly protected. You can yeah. kind of ease through uh, just from that buck's perspective. Plus, we, once we came up out of the creek, there was another, else, we came out in a hub where another drainage ran into it that had laurel. So it was like, mm-hmm. you had the main creek that ran this in this example, north north or south. You had another one teeing off into it, and we came up right in that corner. Second so up in there, I might do, I smell a buck right now. And hey, and that was about 50 yards away from those red oaks we found with all those rubs in them. We we were right on top of that. It was just over the lip of the hill. Yep, and you you can use that creek to get set up because that's always consistent for you too. You know, yep. so you can use that consistent thermal to get uphill with that dropping thermal constantly. You can get up to a spot above yeah. and set up without getting busted. Yeah, that, and that's, it's covering yeah. it's covering your approach and it's it's covering your scent. Yeah, that that is one thing that I have learned from the last from from all of these truck hammers and everything is is access uh in in this mountainous area from low to high is always your best bet because they're they're not in that low when you're going to be in the in that low they've, they've already gotten out of it most all of the the time period they have exited that low the the lower creek bottoms hours before you would ever get into it both morning hunts and morning evenings. and the evening yes so that is your prime access is through the low spots if you're hunting this mountain you know kind of mountainous terrain because yep, they're going cut to be right there. up a creek yeah. get, get a rain washes all the center away it's gone yeah so you know if you get like the couple of hubs that i'm thinking of of really attacking uh, that is my access that's going to be my access is through the creek up a little drainage and just drop right over to them you know and and that's you know, because they're going to be judging by all of the trail camera footage I've got, 
they're they're more at that at the time period that you are traveling in they're going to be in that mid latitude they're going to be mid mid right you know middle of the of the ridges that's that seems to be where they you know are moving during that time period they're they're they've already transitioned out of the bottom and they're starting to transition high Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is where we're going to end this part one episode. We ran pretty long on this one. So uh, so rather than put out just a super, super long podcast, we're going to break it into two different episodes, just especially because it's so information packed, a lot going on here. I hope you guys are enjoying the Buck Hub conversation so far. We get into a ton of interesting stuff in part two that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. I'm going to go ahead and plug right here on our Patreon. If you're a Patreon member, you already know that we actually put out a video on our Patreon only on Friday that shows kind of the topography of what these guys are talking about, what uh, what Shane and Paul are talking about in this episode. Um, and it just kind of gives you a visual of topographically what they are talking about. Um, there's going to be some more videos like that. It's a, It's kind of like an intro to kind of Get your mind right of of what we're talking about in this episode so you can visualize it as they are talking. Um, if you're not a patron, you can go join right now and go watch that video. Uh, later this week, I think I'm going to go ahead and do another one of those videos, maybe from the Habitat perspective, uh, waiting on some uh, questions to roll in from you guys. So if you got any questions, make sure that you comment them or leave them in a review or anything like that. Kind of like, well, actually, I guess you haven't heard it yet, but Michael calls for that in the next episode. Uh, if you have questions on this subject, make sure you let us know because we we did this two part, but we might do a third part later on this summer. And if we do that, we want input from you guys. So uh, if you haven't already, leave us a five star review. It's a huge help to us. We really appreciate that. So uh, in that review, if you've got a question, leave it in that review and, and you know we'll be putting those together and we'll have them ready for when we do the, the third part of this sometime in the next like probably month or two. Hope y'all are having a good summer so far. Appreciate y'all listening, and uh, we'll catch you back on Friday for the outro. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.